Good morning, KGF Church family. Before we get started this morning, I wanted to mention that before the new mask mandate came in, we were planning on having a focus on Stephen Ministry this Sunday. Uh, We're still going to plan on doing that, but Stephen Ministry is a ministry in our church that focuses on training people within our congregation to minister to the needs of people who are experiencing any sort of difficulty at all in their life. Now, like I said, we're still planning on doing that as soon as we can in the near future. But let's start this morning out by reminding you, I want to start this morning out by reminding you that if you need to or would like to talk to somebody about what you're going through, or maybe about what you have gone through, something that's still having some aftershocks in your life, um, would you please reach out to us here at the church? Connect with us, give us a call. We have Stephen ministers who can walk alongside you, who can listen to you, who can show you the compassion of Christ. Uh, As a church family, we want to be here for each other. And so there are people in this church who have gone out of their way to go through some training to make sure that if you need some support, you get the best. So give us a shout and we'll make that connection for you. Now, last week in our sermon, at least in the in-person sermon, I mentioned Jonah and his prayer as he's sailing over the railing heading into the sea. It was this off-script moment that I've decided to chase down in this week's sermon. So last week, through the story of Esther, we talked about how Jesus is knocking on the door of our life and calling us to act and to use wisdom as we do so. It also ended up being a lot about prayer and about lament in particular, with Mordecai's lament and Esther's as well. So this week we're going to look at Jonah and how Jonah was, and how God was knocking on the door of his life, banging on it really with both fists, calling him to repentance. So we're going to talk about prayer this morning too, alongside uh, Jonah. But we're called to be growing in prayer as a church, aren't we? So I feel like kind of doing a sermon on prayer and on Jonah and the anyone's who are called to repentance works just fine. Now, to pray is many things, but it is fundamentally about encountering the living God, speaking to him and being spoken to, and through this conversation, being transformed into the likeness of his son. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can approach God with freedom and confidence to speak. We can begin a conversation. When we pray, we're accepting God's invitation to enter his presence and speak. To speak to him as a good and loving father who wants to deepen his relationship with us. Prayer isn't about persuasion or trying to get God to be nice to us. On God's end, prayer is a vital part of how he affects his change in us for his purposes. What Paul and other New Testament writers call maturing in Christ. On our end, prayer is about practicing transparency before God. That is, when we come before God in prayer, we practice laying down the whole of our life before him, And when Jesus is knocking on the door of our life, following Revelation 3.20, it is not simply to come in uh, and sit in the living room of our life. He wants us to lay the whole thing out before him, to lay our whole life before him. He doesn't want to just come in and sit in the living room of our life in this nice, neat, manicured space. Rather, when we let him in, he wants the whole house to be made available to him. 
There is nothing that remains closed to him. So in prayer, we practice exploring every nook and cranny of our life, our mental and emotional and spiritual and physical life, and present it to God as an offering. Now, I've mentioned already last week that uh, that means our prayer life won't and shouldn't always be happy and uh, full of happy and thankful language. It should reflect the range and scope of our experience offering the whole of it to God. The element I want to talk about this morning is repentance. Anyone can reach out to God in repentance. Now, repentance can be a scary thing. Scary because it means looking squarely at the ugly part of yourself, or a part maybe that makes yourself uh, fearful or anxious or uncomfortable. A place where you are wrong or have done wrong and need to change. But so often we are comfortable with the devil that we know. So sure, it might be harmful to myself or others, but at least I know the shape of it. But when we don't offer that part of ourselves to God in prayer, we become an impediment to our own growth and maturity. Holding back from repentance for whatever reason is in fact holding back from placing our trust fully in God and what he would do with us and have us become. We choose our own suffering or we choose to continue the suffering of another person over putting our trust in the promise of God's healing and transformation in our life. That's a scary thing to do because it's a promise. We don't necessarily receive it like that. And so like I said, even though there's that promise in front of us, the devil we know, that suffering that we're carrying with us, that peace me to offer to God in repentance, we hang on to that nevertheless sometimes. Some of you may be wondering by now what any of this has to do with Jonah and his prayer. Well, if you haven't read Jonah recently, let me give you a refresher because the prayer does need some context. We've heard it this morning already, but the prayer does need some context. So the book of Jonah gives us the account of a prophet and really a rather bad one at that. He's told by God to go to preach against Nineveh. But instead, he goes the exact opposite direction to Tarshish, a town in exactly the opposite direction of Nineveh and on the edge of the known world of the day, literally as far away as he can go from Nineveh is where he's going. And to drive this point home, while God calls Jonah to get up and go, the up is missing in the translation in the NIV, it might be missing in yours as well, but in the Hebrew it's there. When he calls Jonah to get up and go, Jonah goes up only to hightail it down. He goes down to Joppa, the opposite direction. He goes down to the ship. He goes down into the hold of the ship. And there he goes down to sleep. Now God says at this point, all right, you want to go down, do you? And so in the end of chapter one, Jonah is thrown down into the sea and finds himself down in the belly of a fish. I mean, he's trying to run from God, who is, as Jonah himself has said in chapter 1, verse 9, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. He's trying to get away from this God by sailing on the sea to go to a different land. Again, not very sharp, this Jonah. Anyway, while in the belly of the great fish, we get this rather wonderful but also questionable prayer in chapter 2 that we heard this morning. 
I mentioned it in my, week, in my uh, message last week too in person. It comes at a point when Jonah is as far away from God as possible, down, down, down in the belly of a fish. And Jonah, versed in prayer as he is, he's a grown man, he's been raised in the prayers of his people, the Psalms, delivers this wonderful prayer, anticipating the salvation and uh, anticipating his salvation and praising God for it. I think I said last week, even actually, actually at the beginning of this message, I think I mentioned that Jonah prayed this while he was sailing overboard. I was wrong there. It's not while he's sailing overboard. It's actually when he's in the belly of the fish that he prays this. But it's this prayer, it's, it's full of allusions to the Psalms, line after line. I mean, look at this. This is all the Psalms that it is referring to along the way, line after line after line. It's this beautiful prayer that kind of entirely misses the point. Should Jonah have thanked God for saving him? Absolutely. No argument there. But more than that, Jonah should be offering a prayer of repentance. He knows the character of God. God is gracious, merciful, desiring to save, and yet he has set his own countenance against that in refusing to preach to the people in Nineveh. He doesn't want to afford them the opportunity to experience God's grace. Now, Jonah might feel that his own people can and should experience God's grace, but some other tribe of people? Not on your life. No. And yet, we know that in Scripture, God is presented to us as more than the God of Israel. He is the God of all creation. He wants all of creation to return to him. Now, chapters 3 and 4 really drive this point home, and it's too bad that we don't focus on these chapters more because they're not as, uh, I guess, exciting as the whale bit or the fish bit. But this is really where the point of the book is to be found. In chapters 3 and chapters 4, we get to see Jonah make good on his call by God to preach to the city of Nineveh. But it's here that we also see Jonah as a man who's disappointed that God isn't who he wants him to be. A destroyer of his enemies. That's what Jonah's looking for God to be. This, even though one of the most repeated refrains in the Old Testament is that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and filled with unfailing love. It even shows up in Jonah 4 verse 2 when Jonah vents at God for relenting in his judgment because the people of Nineveh. He, said, uh, he says, this is, this is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Honestly, just kill me now. Jonah is so set in his opposition to God's call to reflect his character that he'd rather die than repent. And when God asks him in verse 4 if it's right for him to get this angry, fair question from God, Jonah goes and sulks outside the city. Now, the book of Jonah is full of irony like this, and Jonah, more often than not, is used kind of as a foil for the behavior of other people in the story. That is, what he does and says highlights or brings out some aspect of another person in the account or a principle or a theme that the book is trying to communicate. Jonah's lack of repentance, for example. Despite his being stubbornly at odds with what God is calling him to do, he will not own up to it before God. 
a fact that is thrown into stark relief when he preaches against Nineveh in chapters three, in chapter three, and every last one of them repents. And they repent in a very Jewish way at that, with sackcloth and ashes, much to Jonah's shame. Even the cattle are involved in the repentance. In chapter 3, the king of Nineveh says, Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. He calls them to fast. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. But all Jonah can do is sulk and get angry when he finally gets to Nineveh and God's grace and mercy are put on display. Jonah is out of sync with God's character, and he refuses to bring himself to that place before God in repentance. Again, Jonah serves as a foil to the prayers of other people in the book. If you look at the sailors in chapter 1, when God whips up a storm in response to Jonah's running away on a boat going the opposite direction, and these sailors realize what they're up against, these pagans rather clumsily ask this God that they've only just been introduced to to not hold it against them that they're throwing Jonah overboard. They're just following the prophet's instructions. Take a look at the Ninevites in chapter 3, crying out to God in whatever way they can, they can to express their repentance. Look at the cattle, for goodness sake. All they can do is moo, and they are involved in this. These are awkward and raw, not pretty conversations. A good portion of it in Nineveh is just animal noises. Everyone is calling out to God in repentance. They are prayers, though, nonetheless. Honest encounters with a God they are only just getting to know and working to be transparent in front of. Jonah, on the other hand, has made the God of the universe, remember uh, chapter 1, verse 9, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land? Jonah has made this God small. He's put him in a box. Prayer is a tool used to sick God like an attack dog on his enemies, and to thank when bad times turn good. But in no way did Jonah's prayer suggest he is answering the knocking of God on his door, calling him to realign his life with the God who made him and called him to something more. Jonah may think that he's in conversation with God, but it's a rather one-sided one on his end. He's not being transparent with his life. He's keeping God at bay. There are rooms in his life that he is not allowing God into. His hatred of the Ninevites, in this case. And that's something that I do, too, actually. Not hate Ninevites or use prayer to sick God like an attack dog on people. But over the course of my life, things have happened to me and I've made choices and behaved in ways that have made me sometimes use words to present a, a pleasant front. I can shape my conversation in a way that keeps people at a distance. And go figure, when I err in prayer, I do the same thing. I can often say all the right things. I can even make it sound rich and theologically robust sometimes. But what I'm really doing is this. I'm trying to keep God at arm's length because there's something that I have in me that I don't want to bring before him, some room that I'm keeping closed despite his knocking. There are areas in my life, in all of our lives, 
that we must constantly bring before God in repentance. Like Jonah, I am thankful for God and I'm thankful for the work that he's done in my life. But if I'm honest, if we are honest, we don't always trust him to bring the whole of ourself, especially those ugly bits, to give to him in repentance to transform as well. I end up keeping, or at least trying to keep, the transforming power of God at bay because I don't want to face this part of myself, this part that brings fear or anxiety or shame. Shame is this you know, master emotion that controls so much of what we do. But when we do that, we end up shutting ourselves off, or at least attempting to shut ourselves off from all the riches that God has for us. And maybe you're like Jonah too. Maybe you can pray a prayer that can be beautiful and hit all the right notes, just like Jonah chapter 2, that beautiful prayer in chapter 2 there, but still miss the point entirely. That is, to aim toward vulnerability and transparency before God. To let God into all the rooms of your house, not just the nice, neat, tidy ones. We're talking about the ones that have the skeletons stashed in the closets. Even the places where you're holding on to resentment or grudges or past hurts. Or even the ones that, where, where you know you're carrying on in unhealthy conversations or unhealthy relationships. Where you're caught in habitual practices that are eating away at you or eroding your relationships with others. All of this uh, requires an act of repentance on our part. And if that means your prayer ain't pretty, so be it. God accepted the lowing of the cattle at Nineveh. I'm sure he'll hear your prayer too. And if that means that your prayer is like the sailors, where you don't quite feel you know just who you're talking to because you're just getting to know him, that's okay too. Commit to know him more and rest in his patience and compassion. And if that means that you're silent before God, wonderful. All the better to hear him speak, and we're told in Romans that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf when we don't have the words. But it's all the better to hear him speak then, because when the Lord speaks, things change. A universe that was empty and without form becomes full and beautiful, all because God speaks, Genesis tells us. So yes, anyone can and anyone should come before God in repentance. Jonah this morning has served as a foil for us. He is our bad example. A person who looks like he's got all the boxes ticked. A prophet of God. Uh, a man steeped in prayer. Rich prayer life even. A man called by God to preach far and wide. And yet a person who misses it all the same. Will we be like Jonah? Or will we come before God in repentance? The gift, his forgiveness, his love, and his transforming grace bring are better than staying in your shame, your anger, your stubbornness, or your fear, whatever it may be. Now this morning, because we're talking about repentance, it's already a hard enough thing to wrestle with on our own. I'm not going to ask you to talk with each other about the skeletons in your closet or the things that you need to bring before God. What I want to do this morning is I want to ask you uh, a couple of questions and we will sit with those questions in prayer together. And after a minute or two, 
of silence, I will end our time of silent prayer with a prayer of my own for all of us, and then close with a benediction for you. So, would you close your eyes and calm your mind and hear these two questions. How are you the anyone who is called to repentance? Take this time to search the rooms of your life, to search the rooms of your heart and come before God in prayer. How are you the anyone who is called to repentance? And we're not going to think about the anyones who we think ought to repent. We're going to turn that on its head a little bit and we're going to say, who is the anyone that you may need to ask for forgiveness? Maybe that's a part of your repentance. Again, think on this and bring it before the Lord. The questions are going to be on the screen behind me here if you need to take a look at them again. But let's just sit with these two things quietly right now, and then I'll close in prayer. God of healing and God of wholeness, we bring our brokenness, our sinfulness, our fears and despair, and we lay them at your feet. We hold out our hearts and hands. I'd encourage you, if you're sitting down this morning, to hold out your hands on your lap this morning with your palms up. We hold out our hearts and hands. We hold out our minds and souls to feel your touch and to know the peace that only you can bring. And Jesus, in this moment, in your presence and power. Jesus, we ask that you would grant us faith and confidence that here, broken lives are made whole. And God, we come before you in confession and repentance. And it is in the name of your Son and the power of your Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Before we leave this morning, I have a benediction I like to speak over all of you and I encourage you actually to read Psalm 32 where our benediction comes from because Psalm 32 is all about repentance and the fruits of it but this is for us this morning blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered praise God for his mercy compassion and unfailing love God bless you all as you go about the rest of your lives today and this week